if someone were to ask me, oh, what can I do? I'd love to start a roastery. I would say, well, you, you know, you need a few million euros. You know, we all had that luxury of, of you know, two to three to four years where we didn't have a lot of pressure. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. This week, we catch up with Chris Schachmann, co-founder of Five Elephant in Berlin, Germany. We learn about Chris's early journey from the film industry into coffee, the evolution of the German specialty coffee market over the past decade, and the key decisions and secrets to success that shaped the creation of one of the most respected specialty cafes and roasteries in Europe. Chris also shares his belief that a great deal of his firm's scaled success originates from his pioneering entry into such a nascent market, giving him and only a handful of others a clear first mover advantage. Great. Well, welcome to Fifth Wave. Um, welcome, Chris. Thank you, Jeffrey. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, so good to catch up. To start off, I wonder if you could tell us about your career, how you got first started in coffee. So for me, when when coffee, I would say, I mean, it, it really goes way back to when I first got into coffee. This was um, when a lot of the, you know, I, I, I was... My first coffee was, I guess, in 1994. I was in university in Western Massachusetts, and I, I wasn't working in coffee then, but I got very enamored by this idea of of the local roastery. So you have, you know, in New England, and it's kind of an American um, thing, and not that it doesn't happen in other parts of the world, but a lot of communities had their own small roasteries in them, and... For me, this this kind of um, romantic idea of a general store that has small uh, bins of coffee in them, and you know, later on, I I moved to New York, and there were of course a lot of roasteries that were just opening then in two thousand three, two thousand four, um, and I wasn't working in coffee then, but it was always in my mind that this was uh, something that I I might want to do. So I, I was working in film and in media uh, back then, working on. Hollywood films in, in New York, and, um, you know, it's what I had studied in school. So coffee for me back then was also really a big part of my life. Um, you know, you, you, of course, start your work in film getting people coffee. Um, <laughs> so this, this, is, this is something, you know, to, to, to have coffee in, a, in your blood, to be working long hours, to have this cup that's in your hand, it was something always very comforting for me. Um, so coming from... You know, the first roastery I, I actually used to buy coffee from in, in the mid-90s was Scott Rayo's first uh, foray into coffee. So this was his first roastery that he, he started his career in coffee as well in Amherst, Massachusetts. So we, you know, I, I knew that there was something to this, and this was a very a, a comforting feeling for me. And when I, when I had moved to, to Europe, finally, I realized that there wasn't much of that here in Europe. So we didn't have the idea of, uh, you know, I, I didn't see it anyway at that time that there was a local roastery in a small uh, neighborhood in Berlin. It turns out there were there were a couple um, that were just starting out with very small small roasteries. But so when I, when I moved to Berlin, I saw this was something lacking. And, um, you know, I was working in, in media. I had built a, a film and photo studio and decided after two years that I really, it wasn't really for me. So I was deciding with um, with my now wife, Sophie, 
that we would develop a neighborhood cafe that roasted and also had uh, cakes in it. So we would do everything ourselves. We had enough money at the time to not have a, a large debt, and we decided just to, to go for it. So we got, we got a small handsaw and some wood from the local lumber yard, and we, just with a, a drill, we essentially built the first five elephant shop. And the idea from back then, you know, because I, I had visited the U.S. with with Sophie and we saw these, you know, these roasteries, I brought her to the the old Rayos, which is now, it's not um, affiliated with Scott for some years now. Uh, but we, you know, we, I, I showed her this idea and this concept and this thing that that really had been a big part of my life. Um, also, also with, you know, Gorilla Coffee in, in Brooklyn was... Even a little bit before Ninth Street, we had, you know, or before Cafe Grumpy, like Gorilla was the first cafe that I knew that had this kind of third wave, at least on the East Coast. They were the first company to have a Seneso. They were the first company to roast in the shop and, and focus on direct trade, which was also something really important. Um, so when I showed Sophie these things, um, you know, that, that was back, I mean, in 2003, I think they started. Um, and when I when I brought Sophie back to, to New York and I was showing her these things and she was all already baking uh, cakes for her friends' cafes in our house, it all just kind of came together that this is something really that we want to to put our energy with and give up all of the rest and and focus on this thing that we were both really in love with. And uh, yeah, so that's that's really how it started back then. Yeah, it kind of just went from it, it sort of just went from the, from there at that point. When was that? Was that back in 2009, 2010 that you opened? Yeah, this elephants? was exactly. So the, 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 I would say that the idea probably first came in 2009. Um, and we really decided in, in the early or late winter, early spring 2010, that this is something we wanted to do. And we were really lucky, actually. We found a, um, a place that was for rent. It was an old furniture um, storage space next to a bar that we, we were just with some friends um, telling them about our idea. And our friend went outside to, to you know, smoke a cigarette and have a, a phone call. And he walked to, you know, two buildings over and he saw this place for rent. And he came back and he said, oh, what about this place? And, and we went outside afterwards. And it, you know, of course, it's, it's in the, what we call the armpit of the west of old Berlin. So we have this, um, you know, we, we went and we saw it and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is horrible. This is uh, four stops off of a subway line on a bus and on, you know, a left turn down a dead end street in the middle of nowhere. And Sophie says, this is perfect. And <laughs> so we both had this idea, you know, completely different ideas, um, you know, which, is, which is, is a bit how we came together, you know, that we were so far apart with where we're coming from. Um, and so, and yeah, in 2010, we opened the store together and started roasting and baking from the very beginning. Yeah, I, re I remember my first visit um, to Berlin. We we were launching the European Coffee Symposium yes. in 2011. So I did a little recce tour of Berlin, and your spot was obviously very new. I remember uh, very vividly the cheesecake. <laughs> yes, the uh, cheesecake. Was, I mean, I have, I have to say you guys kind of freaked us out because, <laughs> you know, here we are, like, you know, we just started this company and, and you know, we're, we're brewing, I mean, in a good way, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, yeah. but that was, I mean, it's like 11 years ago, I think you came. So when you, you, know, you, you showed up with a big bus of people and we were, 
you know, trying to <laughs> trying to do uh, trying to do some pour overs, and we were, yeah, we we actually didn't really know what to expect, but it was really great, you know, the people to see the engagement and the interest for for what we were doing. This is, I remember that was actually a big um, motivational boost for us to say maybe we're doing something that's that's interesting. Yeah, well, it was very early days for for Berlin. How, how, how has the Berlin coffee scene changed in that time? Well, you still have, I mean, what I call the, the, the three um, roasters of Berlin. I mean, there's really a lot more. Um, and we started, you know, when we started out, we actually didn't know that any others existed. Um, you know, we, we knew that there was a one, one company roasting a little bit in, in Friedrichshain, but we, we started roasting and we were almost within the first week or two, we had people coming, you know, baristas coming from the barn, baristas uh, coming from our kiduk from, from Bonanza. And we had, uh, suddenly we had within some months, actually the birth of this Berlin coffee community. And we, you know, we all met a lot more. We used to, you know, in the beginning, the, the barn was just a, a multi-roaster cafe. They didn't roast for the first years, but, you know, we had this incredible uh, symbiosis of, of, ideas and uh, different different methods of um, brewing, different, you know, people, everyone coming from different places. And I, I feel that, that that initial spark that we all had back then, um, it really helped push us all to, to do better uh, year after year. And so we, we used to bring our coffee to, to Ralph's at, at the barn every Friday. We would cup them with Bonanza. We would go to Bonanza's and do an event. Uh, we would have them over at our place, and you know, we we did that a lot more directly as as the owners of the business. And you know, of course, there's um, yeah, every, everyone talks, and I think you know there there is a kind of chatter around you know the competition behind our companies. But at the end of the day, I think we all you know we all enjoy actually when we catch up and we get to meet each other and. Yeah, we, we, you know, reminisce a little bit about the old days or we talk about what, what we're doing. Um, I, mm. I would say that how that developed, though, was more in the culture of our baristas. So we have, you know, a lot of our staff, let's say, have maybe a significant other that works at another cafe. Um, and so we're, you know, our, our teams are extraordinarily connected um, in, in a way that I think we need to really be conscious of because in, in a good way. That you know, we we should foster this feeling of goodwill. Um, you know, we all. We, I, I don't think that any of us think of each other necessarily as competition that you need to put down. Mm-hmm. So it it is still a very healthy mentality in a, in in a lot of ways. And I think what's happened is that we we've, we've all grown our companies to a point that we see a direction that we want to go in or that we're working on, and it it doesn't really affect each other. So we're all doing something a little bit different. Um, and yeah, of course you have, uh, I, I just should mention, there's really some great companies. Um, Trace Cabezas, which is now 19 grams. They, you know, they were here well before we were. So, you know, they, they're doing some some good stuff. Um, you had uh, Father Carpenter started a company called Fjord. Um, and so you have uh, across the river here, Populous. You have really, we have really a, a lot of great, companies that are all doing something a little bit different. And I really attribute that to the influx of people, um, you know, all over the world, the, the Asian inspiration, the Australian, 
the the culture of American coffee coming here. We had this huge Nordic influence. And on top of it, all this, um, you know, this history, deep history of filter coffee going back to the early 1900s, um, where essentially Berlin was where filter coffee was invented. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's a, it's a big, I, I think Berlin is really a, a special place uh, for coffee. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I think it's one of those places that, you know, it's seriously on the map as, you know, you've got to go check out if you're, um, you're a coffee aficionado, a coffee geek. Yeah, we, you know, I guess we were fairly early there in in doing our symposium there in in 2011, but it was it was already it was already special then, and it, you know I can't wait for my next visit. Yeah, sure, we'll eat some cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, and in terms of the way that German or at least Berlin coffee culture might have changed over that time, what's the general consumer like in specialty coffee venues compared to what it was, you know, over a decade ago, and also. Is the general population now really sort of into specialty? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think I think that's actually it's the general population that's probably changed the most. So we had in the beginning, we were lucky because, you know, Germany, especially Berlin, it became a kind of Silicon Alley, they called it. So we had we had such a large amount of tech startups, a lot of people coming from California. Um, and this was also right around 2010. So we had we had already a very I, w- I would say more that 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 culture pushed us and encouraged us to say okay you're doing something right <clears throat> excuse me so so when we you know when we got going we were already um, you know doing this thing and I would say that the the general population in Germany this was our our uphill battle in a lot of ways because they were um, excuse me one second. <clears throat> Sorry, the, the general population in, in um, Germany was really the the area that was a little bit uh, fragmented from what we were doing because they had this history in the in the 70s and 80s. There was an influx of very cheap um, robusta coffee in in these chain supermarkets, and the price dropped out. Um, and so this long history of of really enjoying quality filter, some of the best Arabica in the world was coming to Berlin, we had this um, very strong opinion already about what we were doing based on, uh, the, you know, this this trend that had evolved over the past, you know, 20, 30 years um, from before we opened. So we, we met a lot of resistance. We had a lot of people um, that we couldn't engage with and we couldn't, um, you know, it, it, it took some time before... I would say the mass mass consumer in Germany started coming over and appreciating filter coffee again. Um, you know, for sure they wanted espresso drinks. Uh, we always were um, in the very beginning serving, you know, what they call a latte macchiato, which is essentially a single shot of espresso dropped in a 400 or 500 milliliter steamed milk. <laughs> so we we really had you know, we had a lot of education to do, a lot of work to do to inform consumers about what we were doing and why we were doing it and and to get them also to trust again in the quality of coffee um, because it was, it was something that was masked up with with milk and with sugar. And, and this was really something that we indirectly worked against, although some, some companies worked it, worked on it quite directly you know, banning everything that people normally are used to drinking and 
And this this was difficult actually because it 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 made our job a little bit harder because we weren't necessarily saying no, you can't put sugar and milk in your drinks. Um, but we were trying to guide people a little bit more gently. But a, a lot of people had this, you know, almost violent resistance against what we were trying to do. And now it's, it's you know, it, it caught up with us. We have um, really, we have really big companies ordering our coffee. Uh, I would say that a lot of, um, you know, the, at least our, our B2B customers, they're they're actually not going more for these Italian style coffees. Um, and you have a lot of, you know, a lot of people, I would say that the 25 to 35, 40 year old, um, you know, market group, you have them very informed and engaged around these quality products. And it, yeah, for us, it's a, it's a big, um, you know, we're, we're relieved that we can finally you know, sell what we enjoy doing um, to a lot of people. Amazing. So original vision for Five Elephant, you know, was it just going to be a one shop with a community roastery? Did you ever think you would have a bigger business like that? Well, we, you know, we, from the beginning, absolutely not. Um, So I, you know, I I had come from um, working in film, as I mentioned, my my wife, both of us were working in media. She comes from Vienna, um, so in Austria, and you know, when we, I would say our ambitions were not larger. The, the, what was really important for us, and I think actually something that in the end uh, helped us with our success, was that we didn't, we did it because we wanted to be doing it. We wanted to be making coffee and working with, you know, with a, a, a few key staff and uh, really engaging with these customers that were excited about what we did. We were excited about this and we didn't really think further in the beginning about that, but we very soon, we got a lot of interest, of course, and we had this opportunity to get one or two um, larger wholesale customers. And it was always, um, I would say, you know, we, we grew with the excitement of our growing customer base. Um, and we always saw this as as a kind of thrilling opportunity to say, "Oh, you're excited about this too," and you know, let's um, you know, let's let's move our roastery and get a larger roaster and and roast more coffee. And we always saw that as a, you know a continuation of this idea of building a community and engaging with with customers and supporting these networks of uh, partner producers that we worked with at Origin which we've we've done pretty much from the beginning. Um, this was also very important, and it, it's what motivated our our growth. You know we wouldn't we wouldn't have grown if it weren't for the fact that we were doing able to do a bit more work uh, where we buy coffee and support our partners more. what What's the sort of scale of business now? What's it grown to from that one little site? the the bones, the <laughs> so we um, yeah, we we started off with a five kilo roaster, which um you know I, I I went to Idaho and I helped with the final uh, you know walkthrough of it. I was very involved in the machinery, so we 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 got a small five kilo roaster. Um, within a couple of years, we grew to a twenty five kilo. So we're roasting right now on a twenty five kilo Dietrich, and we have uh, so so we're we're operating a roastery, which is a separate um, business on its own, um, and that that's also in the same facility as our bakery and our office and our training center. So we, we call this whole complex uh, our HQ. Um, and then we have four cafes now in Berlin. So we 
we had three going into the, you know, just pre-pandemic, and we opened up our third cafe in December of 2019. Um, and then, yeah, our fourth cafe, we actually opened up during the pandemic, and we saw it as actually a great opportunity to uh, become, you know, a, a dependable customer of, of our own through a time where, you know, the economy and the world was a little bit rattled. So we, we really were, um, yeah, w the reason why we were growing was actually to, uh, you know, to more directly access our customers and in a way that gave us a little bit more security than relying on wholesale partners, which we also do, of course. Mm. Wow, uh, you know that that's incredible growth. That's um, you know really having a a big impact on the the Berlin coffee scene and making waves abroad as well. Your reputation is super out there. What would you say you owe your success to? So, I mean that's a great question because I mean a lot of you know when I when I think about you know if you look at uh, some of the great tech companies or you know you can call them great I, whether or not they're Great or not is not up to me to decide. Yeah, but a lot of the you know the 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 reason why companies did really well, uh, computer companies, was because you had a group of people who had a lot of access to, uh, you know, they had a lot of access to the internet, whether or not they were working off of mainframes of uh, much larger institutions, they were able to go there all night and and spend all of their time developing what would become this you know massive industry. And I think, you know, th those people were born between a three-year period in the 1950s. And when I think about why companies like ours are successful, you know, with relatively, you know, if you look at the ones that I really admire, you know, it's done a lot without any kind of outside investments. And I look at, you know, the, the, the time period 2007 to 2010, I would say, was this um, period where you had a lot of really great roasters that started. So whether it was the Nordic roasters, uh, Tim Wendelbo or um, Kopi, uh, Charles and Anne, or you have Coffee Collective with uh, Klaus and Peter and Casper, you, you know, so Square Mile, all, all of them started around this time, 2007 to 2010. And when you had, you know, also no access to really put your company out there, this was before, well before Instagram and TikTok and other modern ways that have become synonymous with how you market your your business, we all had time to really develop something that actually was really interesting for consumers and something that would become a very popular thing to do come 2014, 2015. Suddenly we had this, we were doing something already, we were already good at it, and it, it only accelerated this momentum that we all had because we were already ready for it. Um, and I, I think, I don't think we're doing something much different than most of the other companies. I just think that we were doing it at the right time. And we were also all shared this, you know, extraordinary passion for what we were doing um, and a drive for excellence and innovating and being open-minded. Um, thinking about our environment. Um, and th these things are all of the, I would say, the bedrock principles of what what we were all doing. And we did it maybe at the right time. And I, I, I wouldn't say more than that. I don't think that there's any huge secret. And, and I probably wouldn't 
believe that doing that now would have the same result. Bit like it's a hard, harder to get those Instagram likes <laughs> compared to. Uh... Yeah, it's harder. Exactly, and it, it just would require. I mean, if if someone were to ask me, oh, what can I do? I'd love to start a roastery. I would say, well, you you know, you need a few million euros, um, and you know, in order to get your name out there, to get uh, buy yourself some time. You know, we all had that luxury of of you know two to three to four years where we didn't have a lot of pressure. Um, you know, market pressure, that is, from competition or yeah, having having to scale. And, and running a business now, um, you know, four outlets, a roastery, a bakery, a lot more complex than those early days. Is it easier or harder? Well, it it's both. <laughs> so at, on the one hand, you know, you, you, when you have a company that, you know, you have some uh, very different and, and section departments. So, you know, we have like a a bakery head, a roastery head, we have uh, social media marketing, we have sales team accounts and, you know, office staff, HR, uh, bookkeeping. I mean, we have all of the kind of normal things that a company with 60 to, you know, 70 staff would have. Um, but the, the one thing I would say that is different is I've, I've gone from a position of being very hands-on directly with our customers to having to change how I think about leading and managing and working with, with staff. So I, I used to have a lot of management experience working in, in film, but when I came into this position, this was something I had to really learn and grow into. Uh, and it's not something, you know, there's so many books about this. You can, you know, watch, uh, you know, workshops on, on topics like this. But through a lot of trial and error and getting it wrong, um, you know, it's something that you constantly learn and you and you work from. And I've actually learned that this challenge and this growth and this learning, that the stuff that I want to be better on is, is actually the new reason why I get motivated. Um, so, so my reason behind going to work every day has certainly changed. But I, I'm actually more... For me, it gives me a lot more satisfaction to be able to work and, and have a team work well together. And, and that's what drives me every day. So it, it, it's, it's different from, okay, I'm, I'm focusing on a customer. I want them to be happy. Now I'm focusing on a team, which then I want to focus with customers so that they can be happy. Um, so it's kind of a one step removed, um, but I'm getting a lot of you know, personal satisfaction out of, out of that kind of challenge. And also in encouraging staff to do competitions. It's like I, I don't compete, but I love to encourage staff to do competitions or, you know, do a special project. Um, so I'm, I'm in a way living vicariously through them. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's how it's really changed for me. And anything you would have changed earlier? You know, like I wish I would have known that and yeah, I would have had an easier life or a tenfold bigger business or what you know whatever you would have dreamt of i would have um i would have sunk all of my money into a proper accounting system <laughs> because i mean the the you know the 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 tax code in germany is incredibly complex and we have you know as it is in a lot of places in europe um and we we had a lot of uh, challenges in you know in our middle years when we were growing and and really our sales started getting much higher um and, and we had a lot of things that weren't accounted for correctly because of the tax code. So whether it's the, the tax um, percentage or, 
you know, when we have rebates or something like that. And so our, our system, there actually wasn't a system out there that was built for coffee roasteries um, to sell coffee on the internet, uh, especially in Germany. So we tried adapting systems and and I would have, yeah, from the very beginning, just built our own system and, and spent, probably would have been 100, 200,000 euros. But yeah, it's not something that you can think of in advance until you go through those years of, okay, we need to make things different. And mm. um, and aside from that, I you know, I think I might've made a little more, um, you know, I, I probably would have tried to do what I could to pay staff more back then. Um, I think that this was something how to to show staff uh, that you can really appreciate what they're doing. Um, you know, you can say you appreciate something all day, but if if they're not growing also in in value with the company and they see the company growing um, with for for whatever reason, even if we don't you know think we have the money to do it, I, I believe now that looking back, if we had invested more in that, that the success would have, you know, that the the benefit would have come. From that investment, um, and I and I think there's something really to be said about treating your staff well and and trusting them to you know that that they want the same things that you want and and that you know in the, in the long run they should benefit as much as we do um, and that's something we learned from the beginning because it was a very a very fun time. Everyone was getting into coffee and it wasn't, for a lot of people, it wasn't about money. It was about this new, new idea. And we didn't really know how to scale a coffee business. So, you know, you learn along the way and you make, make mistakes. And, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm very proud of our team. Now we have a really great COO who is also very um, uh, devoted and passionate about making sure that our team uh, also shares, you know, is able to, to take part in the kind of uh, growth that we have. But, you know, of course, the last two years have been a bit stalled, I would say, for a lot of companies. Okay, let's, let's talk about those last two years. This COVID hit us in, you know, really it was the big moment was March 2020. That's right, uh, yeah. Yeah, what was going on in your business at that time and how did you react and how did you get through it? So we we had actually you know we we had grown to a point where we were we were operating a lot of um, remote barista bars. So we we have some concepts where you know for very large corporations where we'll build out barista bars and we operate them with our own staff in their offices for certain buildings with five hundred or a thousand uh, staff members working in a building. And so going into two thousand twenty, we were operating around i don't know 10 of these um of these units around germany and france we had a, a big operation in in paris um and then you know when covid came of course all of this stopped and you know it, that that part of our business it was around a third of our business doing um you know our wholesale business to uh, big big office companies doing um you know, and anywhere from uh, 20 to 100 kilos in, in a week, uh, these kind of customers overnight just stopped. And, you know, it really gave us a bit of an existential, um, existential feeling that we needed to figure out, okay, what are we about? And this is where I mean, you know, we, we, we kind of 
pulled back a little bit. We all moved to doing Windows service. Um, and this was a little bit of a relief for our company, actually, because we, we were able to keep our teams relatively safe, um, sell through the window. And at the same time, we were able to keep our staffing costs down. Uh, the government here in Germany has a, an old instrument that they used called Kurzarbeit. It's like short time work. So they, you know, they, they tried to retool that for this pandemic. It, it was essentially a, you know, an instrument from the government to be able to support large companies that do manufacturing, to be able to um, put their staff on a kind of short time work. Uh, so the, the government comes in if there's a supply chain delay and they pay those staff as a kind of unemployment, but they use the employers to administer everything. So it, it for, for the government, it's a huge, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big incentive for them because they don't have to have a lot of unemployment claims and they put it on the company then to organize these things. And so, so what, what was interesting about Germany was that not only did we have this pandemic, but we also had to learn about all of these very complicated uh, structures. And, and, you know, it was a little bit difficult, you know, staff get, would get paid a little bit less, but juggling that administration of how this works and how our company is actually gonna work and how do we get through this? This was, you know, more than a full-time job. We were, you know, spending a hundred hours a week trying to figure this stuff out. Um, and after, you know, after a few months when we got into the summer and, and our doors and windows opened up again, it, it became a little bit better. But most companies in Germany, I would say, are still on some kind of support. And they've extended it now another three months. Um, and it, it, what's really strange and bizarre is that as we, you know, we went through 20, 2020 and, you know, the winter was this other lockdown. But when we came into the spring of 2021, we experienced a massive growth in, in our store sales. So we started, um, you know, it was kind of like on, off, on, off. And, <laughs> and then it was suddenly on and it was not only on, but we did, we did our highest retail sales in our company's history in that summer and going into August, September, October were our busiest of last year, were our busiest retail months ever. So we're, we're extremely optimistic that, you know, when this transitions into an endemic, which is what they think will happen um, relatively soon, that I, I, I do think that the customers, they're all waiting and they're ready. And they're, they're there. We see, you know, the people that still want a great coffee uh, at their local coffee shop. Great. So what's next for Five Elephant? Well, um, I mean, I yeah, I was thinking about this uh, idea. I mean, we we're constantly, we're a little bit on hold at the moment um, because we're, you know, we're still trying to get through this winter and, and keep, keep our team strong. Um, I, I would say that the thing that we're the most focused on is shoring up our foundation. So to make sure that our teams are really an extension of the ideas of why we want to uh, you know, be in business. Um, and then until we really have a full, um, you know, a, a understanding with all of our teams and, and actually we, we've gotten there a while ago, but you know, the, the pandemic, I would say keeps uh, everything simmering a little bit. Um, 
but I, yeah, I I, th- I think we're we're looking to the future, and we want to you know just have a, a strong team. I'm I'm a little bit uh, debating about this idea about growth. You know, I know this is a big topic for a lot of your listeners probably, um, and there's always this idea that okay, coffee companies they're there for putting a lot of money in, growing them, making a lot of stores, earning a lot of money, um, and unless unless I really feel strongly that our why around the reasons for doing that are there, I'm, I'm not, you know, we're not going to be pushing our company forward. So this, this is actually the, the big thing we work on. We're developing a, a school. We actually have been building a school in Kenya for the last years. Um, we have a, already um, a grade, grade one to three with two preschool classes. Um, and this is something we're doing on our own with our, a local farmer that, you know, we work with in Kenya. So supporting, you know, supporting ideas about this, trying to get behind, um, you know, our team that they can share that, that we want to create value at origin is one of our big um, reasons for why we work. Um, pushing that, seeing how, how much we can actually do on that on that way is, is something that's inspiring for us all. And we do this in, in Brazil with clean water projects. Um, we're supporting a, a farm in El Salvador also that's working on uh, a lot of environmentally uh, conscious, uh, you know, things about um, regenerative agriculture. And and I, I think for me, if, if, if a company is not focused on saving this world, uh, then I, you know, that, that's our future, really. That's what's next, is that we, we want to put this all into doing, doing the things that are important for us. And if, if we can do more of those uh, and more of that in the future, and it can be an extension of these ideas that we, we hold true, then I'm really, yeah, I, I would, I would want to grow that as large as we could. If we, if we can't do that, um, we should just, uh, you know, continue how we are, and we're also fine with that. Um, yeah, it's funny because my, yeah, my my partner Sophie, she's we we talk about this all the time, and she's coming from a kind of uh, socialist-minded, um, you know, school in in Vienna, Russian school, and she, you know, she she's constantly saying, I'm 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 actually fine how we are. Like, what? Why do we need more? So as long as we're doing what we enjoy, it's from the beginning, it's, it's the main reason why we do it. In light of the devastating events in Ukraine, before releasing this episode, we decided to catch up with Chris again to understand how this tragic situation is impacting his operations and his own business decision-making. Well, thanks for joining us here again, Chris. Uh, given that you're based largely in East Berlin, and if we think back... Some 33 years ago, the fall of the of the Berlin Wall and everything that that represented, and today's world seems a bit surreal with the devastating events in Ukraine at the moment. I'm just wondering what impact you're feeling there. Then I had known living in the United States and growing up in in the U.S. that you you definitely felt the you know the legacy of 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 war, which is still in in the society and in the culture here. Um, and so what that represented, you know, it, it manifested its way in uh, almost an immediate reaction to support with donations, with organizing together. I think within the first day we had um, most organizations were, were creating um, 
you know, runs to the border of Poland and Ukraine. It's only, I think, an eight or nine hour drive. So it's a very real thing that you can do to help. And people were at first organizing clothes because it's still, you know, winter here. Um, and then, you know, the immediate um, need for more serious things like medical supplies, uh, pharmaceutical supplies, diapers, um, you know, sanitary um, supplies for people coming over who were essentially just, as everyone sees on the news, leaving with their suitcases. Um, it's an enormous amount of, of things that people needed. So I, at least in the first week, there was a massive push to do some, um, you know, donations and bring what we could. We were helping to organize, um, or, you know, or our, our daughter's school had a few trucks that went so every morning we would bring something uh, for that. And then I think, you know, we, we've, I think that the sensitive subject here, which um, is the subject of, in general, of, um, you know, refugees. And in, in general, this has been a very sensitive and, and hot political topic here in Europe and Germany, particularly. Um, they, I think they brought in, in the war in Syria, already in the last years, something around a million uh, refugees uh, into Germany. And if you look at other countries, this was limited to around 50,000. Um, you know, if you look at Great Britain or Sweden, I know brought in a, a lot. Um, but Germany by far had already absorbed really a, a huge amount of refugees. So I think this is actually a good thing because they have... Um, they have the ability to process a lot of um, a lot of people. You know, there, there's a real need to keep um, our focus on on the humanity of this, and to make sure. And in, in a way, Germany's reaction um, for the Syrian refugees was a, an enormous success here in, in Germany, because they were able to assimilate and and get people working in, in the workforce and. Um, so I, I can only be, I mean, you know, obviously we, we, <laughs> we reject any kind of war. This is a, the furthest thing away. I mean, can you believe in the 21st century that we have, that this is even a topic? It's a little bit mind boggling. Um, but, you know, I, I think Europe in general has uh, a certain amount of flexibility to breathe in and out and, and try to you know, because of its unique history, um, it would be a much different situation if, let's say, there was war in Canada uh, for the United States or war in war in Ireland, which, I mean, you, you did have this. Uh, so in, in a way, I think the UK also knows um, as one of the more recent wars in Europe. Uh, but but nothing compares to this. I mean, this is this is a massive uh displacement of people so is there any impact on your business currently and on the operations and how you're obviously thinking about your business ukraine was had been positioning itself to be one of the larger uh, manufacturing uh, suppliers in in europe so already you know we a lot of companies have been trying to distance themselves from supply chains from china for for packaging for materials um and, and whatnot. And so the countries that have been picking that up have been Ukraine and, uh, you know, Poland to some extent. And another one, you know, not in European Turkey, that um, a lot of the 
consumables, things that we're using day to day. So for sure, that that will have some kind of an effect. I mean, I, th I think the real question here, it, it's almost as if this is um, a call to action to perhaps more rapidly accelerate the, you know, the, the push to, to climate change and the push to be more independent, energy independent, and all of the things that we really want to do. This is... Um, in some way, hopefully going to accelerate this. And we, you know, we had some, we had a few customers in, in Ukraine and Kiev and we, not so much recently, but there is, you know, it, this is a, a cosmopolitan city, um, very international. It's a, a city that has um, an extraordinary history of, of fine cuisine, fine dining, um, some great roasters that are, are working there. <clears throat> some really good, um, you know, upper upper end specialty coffee shops. Um, so we had been working with a few of them and, and quite high volume uh, as well. And of course, all of these places, they're silent now. It's it's very difficult to, to hear much and hear, much, you know, any word from them. Um, we have a lot of customers in Poland. So a lot of these uh, inventors as well. A lot of these com uh, companies are already a bit preoccupied with what's going on and and doing what they can to support uh, the effort. And I think from a business perspective, it's it's very important that we can um, help to share some of this burden as as we we do also with you know the Syrian refugees that we've had. I think it's important to have a an equal. Um, an equal balance with how how we support and how we um, you know how we how we accept people who are fleeing from any kind of uh, war or conflict you know, that that this is really a human the human side of it um, to to build systems that can be supportive of this. So this is the approach that that we're t we're taking. I mean, we're not a humanitarian company. We're not a a, a nonprofit organization. Although I, I think we need to see how it, how it progresses in the next weeks. Yeah, this is uh, a, new, a new time we're living in. Chris, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us here today. We wish you and, of course, the people of Ukraine and everyone else affected just a safe and secure immediate future. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for chatting about it. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Follow us on Instagram, Fifth Wave Coffee. That's the number five, followed by TH Wave Coffee. And tell us what topics are important to you so we can make the show more relevant to you and to your business. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions and Sound Engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song from the Coffee Music Project is Rain Pour Down by Romanian artist Iova. And until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated.
each other so. Soon-